We now come to a time in the service to offer witness to Aaron's life. And I will say many stories have already been shared this last couple of days about Aaron, and almost everyone I've heard sharing a story has smiled a lot, even through their tears. Also, I will say that most of these stories involve food. (laughs) Or facial hair. (laughs) Or deep conversation that moves naturally from Aaron's quirky, funny sense of humor and dry comic timing to a deep conversation about Jesus and then often with Aaron praying for someone. And I want to tell you, Asbury community, how grateful Aaron's family has been for these stories shared in community for them. For Aaron, Asbury was a place where he fully blossomed. And to be sure, they knew he was a gem from the very beginning. Uh, He was a talker from day one, one who wanted to be around people all the time. He was only a toddler when his brother Matt was born, but his mom found Aaron standing over his brother's bassinet, chatting away to the small infant there, explaining all the wonders of the family that he would be welcomed into. He loved to welcome people into community from day one. And I'm not sure of sibling groups uh, how often it is that the oldest also gets the most gullible award, but somehow, somehow Aaron's siblings could trick him into almost anything, even convincing him once that it was National Lick-A-Spoon Day. (laughs) Remember, he's the oldest, right? And as the three of them licked their clean spoons, he followed suit and discovered the hard way that they had coated his spoon with ghost hot pepper sauce. (laughs) It may be a testimony to Aaron that he loved them anyway. Aaron seems to be the one who treasured experiences and relationships deeply, the keeper of family traditions, the one who encouraged them. Tim and Kath, Matt, Jacob and Emily, we are so thankful you're here with us this week. Getting to know you, we see where he got it from. All the love and laughter, all the little pieces coming from each of you. Thank you for sharing Aaron with us. You're part of this Asbury family now, forever. I'm going to take a moment to invite Amanda Duke up, and she is going to share some words written by a close friend of Aaron's who sent words today um, honoring his life and memory, and the family wanted these words shared with us today. So Amanda, would you come and share? This is from uh, a life friend of Aaron, Jonathan Saver. I first met Aaron when he was my next door neighbor in Pennsylvania and fellow first year ministry student. He later became my roommate and then a close friend for life. When I think about Aaron, three distinct qualities come to mind. Aaron loved being around people. He loved knowledge. And he wanted everyone to know that God is real. Aaron loved being with people, and he had a never-ending desire to meet more people. In his first-year apartment, he was often alone by himself. We, on the other hand, had seven guys living in one house. 
Because there was typically little to do at his house and constant activity at our house, Aaron made it a regular practice to sit at his window and stare at the action going on in our house. <laughs> it became a regular occurrence for us to walk through the kitchen and see Aaron in the window across the alley making funny faces at us. Aaron was delighted when he moved into our house the next year and constantly had people to hang out with. To be with more people, Aaron joined every small group he could and participated in every outreach activity he could find. Our school requires students to minister on the streets to at least three people a week. For many students, that was a burden. For Aaron, it was an opportunity to meet more people. He constantly wanted to be in the streets praying with people and sharing with them about Jesus. Aaron also loved being with his parents and younger siblings. I remember one time when he was a college student, Aaron was talking about his younger brother, who shared a room with him, um, would come in late at night, be loud, and wake him up, and leave his stuff all over the room. I responded, you guys have a spare room at your house. Why don't you just move into that room? He responded in a very Aaron way. I'm going to do the hand gesture. No. <laughs> I'd still rather share a room with my brother. Aaron was also someone who loved knowledge. When he first moved into my house, possibly because I was 10 years older, he assumed that I knew more about every topic in the world than he did. For the first six months we lived together, any time he knew a piece of information that I did not know, he would be surprised and excited for days. I remember his shock and delight when his Virginian self knew what the 4-H club was and my suburban self did not. Aaron and I had constant late night discussions about theology, music groups, favorite authors, and every once in a while, girls. The other students in the house would usually call it a night around midnight and I could usually make it until about 1.30 or 2. But if we ever ended on a controversial topic or an I don't know statement, I was fine with going to bed. Aaron, however, would do research on the topic until 4.30 or 5 in the morning, even though we had to get up at 8 a.m. for school the next day. As we had to sign into school by 8.30 a.m., it became a regular occurrence to see Aaron rushing for the scanner at 8.30 a.m. <laughs> exactly, and then trying his best to stay awake and probably failing in class for the next three hours. Afterwards, I would always get a summary of his in-depth Wikipedia searches from the night before. When I first met Aaron at 18, he seemed to be unaware of so many life topics that a typical American 18-year-old would know. He was also a poor writer. When he first told me he wanted to be a professor someday, I thought to myself, that is never going to happen. <laughs> but because of Aaron's love for knowledge and his love of internet searches, Aaron became a man who had a depth of understanding about so many topics related to God and life. He became a gifted writer. Two weeks before he died, he decided he would get his THM in intercultural studies in order to become a Bible professor in a third world country. I have no doubt that if Aaron had lived, he would have succeeded in accomplishing both of these. Aaron wanted everyone to know that God is real. When he first started ministering on the streets, his favorite thing to do was to have people hold out their hands while Aaron prayed that they would feel the presence of God 
following the practice of one of his favorite teachers, Jamie. Aaron once saw a newscaster at the state capitol and went up to him and said, uh, can I pray for you that you will feel the presence of God? The man responded, do it to my cameraman. The cameraman said he was feeling something when Aaron prayed for him, so the newscaster said, okay, you could do it to me also. <laughs> I was 50 feet away, enjoying the sight I had of a news crew about to go on the air holding out their hands as Aaron was praying for them. One of Aaron's favorite moments in ministry was when he taught in a class uh, at Chicago about hearing God's voice. By the end of the class, the room was full of people accurately prophesying details of the other people in that room that they did not know. Aaron also enjoyed ministering in the prison near Asbury Seminary and reaching out to other students as a student chaplain. I could go on and on about Aaron's stories about our trip to Brazil or helping a farmer castrate goats <laughs> or him laughing at me for thinking a baby cow was a fat goat. or him taping his cat to a skateboard. <laughs> uh, or his cat sweater that says, I hate cats. <laughs> or his talking about his fat and lazy cat. Or him taking five times as long as everyone else at a museum because he wanted to read every detail on every plaque at every exhibit or him telling the head of his ministry school that he wanted to start a funeral home so that he could raise people from the dead. His noticeable deficiencies in the area of dancing. <laughs> his decisions to try deep frying every item in his refrigerator. His love of drawing artwork for people, his erratic suicide missions in the board game of Risk. Me stopping a guy on the street from beating up Aaron. Um, or Aaron scaring off a man who is robbing our elderly neighbor. But instead of sharing all of those stories, I will end with this. A few weeks ago, Aaron told me that God had spoken to him about me. He said, God had a simple message for me. Your future is very bright. Aaron didn't know this, but that is the exact phraseology that God had secretly been speaking to me dozens of times over the last six years. God was speaking, speaking through Aaron, my future truly is bright. And while I believe my future is bright, I know without a doubt that Aaron's present is brighter than any light any of us have ever seen. As the Apostle John wrote about the New Jerusalem. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb of God. By its light will nations walk, and the kings of earth will bring their glory to it. Revelation 21, 23, and 24. Aaron walked as a king on this earth. He has now brought his glory before the throne. Before the throne of God. And we'll experience God's 
brilliantly luminous light forever, forevermore. And in this place, be assured, Aaron is having the time of his life, meeting all of the saints of the past that he always talked about <laughs> and dreamed about meeting and every single theological question <laughs> that he has ever had is being answered. And his desire is stronger than ever that you would know that God is real and that he is worthy of living for. Thank you, Amanda. Um, over the last couple of days, several people have said to me that they were in a small group with Aaron, um, which seemed less and less believable as the size of that small group seemed to... <laughs> And I realized that there was not just one small group, <laughs> that there were multiple, multiple groups that he loved being part of. I'm gonna invite Randall Cup up to come and speak to us. And Randall's someone who's known Aaron from times back home in Virginia all the way to here at Asbury, starting with a small group. So come and share with us. I'll never forget the first day I met Aaron Nickerson in 2013. I had been a new, struggling Christian for, less, for about a year and a half, and my first steps of faith were difficult. I was starting to lose friends. I was starting to lose entire social circles even. But the deeper I got into this Christian faith, I realized I just couldn't do it alone. And so, with reluctance and a dose of holy frustration, I joined a young adult small group through my home church in Williamsburg, Virginia. I walked into the small group feeling bewildered, nervous, way out of place, sporting a shaved head and a black leather jacket. And there was Aaron, sitting on a couch, looking relaxed, happy, peaceful, at harmony with his surroundings, with a full head of hair and a colorful random t-shirt. You could say Aaron and I were very, very different people. After all, at the time, I was working in a shipyard on carriers and subs. Aaron was working at the William & Mary bookstore. <laughs> but we were both Christians, and that was good enough for Aaron. He looked at me and smiled and said, Hi, I'm Aaron. <laughs> he seemed happy and genuine, genuinely happy. Even as he launched into his dry jokes and gave his traditional thumbs up. You know what I'm talking about. Somebody give me an amen. There we go. And uh, he would start doing his little, you know, pose like that. So he would start getting into these schemes. It was like a scheme of the week. One week he wanted to start like a composting company. And then that would kind of die off. And then the next week he wanted to start like a worm farm. Okay, that lasted for two weeks, and then that kind of died off. And then he even started coming up with his own coffee brew. I don't know if he ever told you about this. It was, he called it Aaron's Crappy Coffee. And not only was it Aaron's crap and coffee, he, um, he had this bag, like a Starbucks bag, and on this bag under, above Aaron's crappy coffee, it would have him going like this. <laughs> but Aaron was more than just schemes and jokes. He brought up his own faith struggles with ease. He offered to pray without hesitation. He, he, came, he came loaded and ready to go. And when he shared a praise report, he did so without boasting and automatically took all the glory and directed it to God. He was happy. He was genuine. 
There was nothing false in Aaron. I would often come home to small group carrying these heavy burdens. By this point of my faith, about a year in, I had lost all my friends. I had lost all the social circles. And I was still wrestling with the temptations of the old life. I knew where to go for fun. For fun. I knew where the hot spots were. And I was getting bombarded with old text messages from old friends. And every weekend was like a crucible of faith. And some weekends I would do great. I would stand firm, stand against the temptation to win. But other weekends, not so much. I would just plain mess up. And I would go to small group feeling sad, embarrassed, and ashamed to be even a Christian amongst such holy people. And so one night at a small group, I confessed my struggles. And I was expecting Aaron, this pure man of God, to just sneer at me and go, but he didn't. He didn't. He looked at me and said, hey, Randall, I understand. I face temptations too. And when I face temptations, I just say out loud, and it's always helped me that to voice that I am a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, and the new is here. And if it could work for me, Randall, I know it could work for you too. I was, I was taken aback. He was empathetic. He was genuinely empathetic. He was a lot like Jesus Christ. And I started thinking in that point in time, maybe there's something to this Christian walk. Maybe when I, I heard, you know, be like Christ all the time, but maybe it's more than a bumper sticker. Maybe it's just more than just some high mental ideal. Maybe it's actually a life to be lived out. Maybe it's something the Holy Spirit empowers us to do directly. Because this Aaron Nickerson guy, he's getting it. I don't fully understand how the Holy Spirit's working through Aaron, but there's something Christ-like about him. There's something to this Christian faith, more than just showing up to church on Sunday and tithing if we feel good. But it wasn't just through Scripture that Aaron helped me. He often countered my seriousness and frustration with that good old-fashioned, awkwardly trimed, dry, goofy humor. He would always counter my seriousness and frustration. If I would make or try to make a serious point, Aaron would lean back in his chair. <laughs> you know, this is going. He would stroke whatever style facial he had that week, goatee, the, the biker stash, regular stash, beard, and go, yes, yes, yes. When I walked in, he would always greet me with that oversized thumbs up, overemphasized thumbs up, or he would do that pose, almost the Heisman pose with fingers and go, hey, Randall, how you doing? And no matter how angry I was with my Christian faith or how frustrated I was with my job, I'd just kind of break down and smile. I couldn't help it. It was, it was this almost divine joy. It would just rock people. One time, our small group agreed to meet for a minor league baseball game. I came to that game in Norfolk, Virginia, tired and angry from a long day of being in an aircraft carrier. And so sensing this, Aaron followed me into the ballpark very closely, walking behind me, randomly humming tunes or songs. I don't know what they were. Could have been in Canada B. I don't know. But just, da, 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 da. And I'm just, what are you doing? And he kept humming and humming, and I started to smirk. And all of a sudden, when we're walking by the concessions, he pauses and goes, huh, smells like hot dogs in here. He was joyfully genuine. He was that way regardless of their circumstances. I can remember one time he had this, I call it the old gold Honda Accord, and the belts were squeaking really loud. And Aaron, of course, was like the small group, about 15 minutes. And so I'd be sitting in there, where's Aaron, where's Aaron? And all of a sudden here's... He'd walk in, 
Hello. <laughs> I mean, Aaron, man, you got to get those belts tied. I can help you out. Oh, don't worry about it. I'll fix it next week. <laughs> week 16. Big <laughs> <laughs> <Eat> parallel parks. <laughs> Sitting in there. Aaron's here. <laughs> Hello. How are you all today? So, all right, Aaron, I'm going to help you fix your car. So we pulled the car into Jason Goins' driveway. We were running out of daylight. I got the belt signed, and I was tightening the, the belt tensioner bolt. And all of a sudden, the belt just breaks. And we're running out of daylight here. This is Aaron's only car. And as I resisted the urge to pitch the wrench far across the neighborhood and use words I surrendered to a past life, I just looked at Aaron and go, we've got to go to the hardware store, dude. <laughs> and Aaron, on face, just goes, does that mean we're about to embark on an automotive parts procuring adventure? <laughs> Yes, sir. <laughs> there was another time it involves a restaurant. Um, we went to some restaurant in the higher part of Williamsburg. And there was like a burger joint, but it was not just any burger joint. It was a deluxe burger joint with every aspect of American cholesterol-induced, uh, you know, food. And instead of taking their order, they would give you these slips with all these boxes to check off. And, I mean, there was, if you did the math, there was like hundreds of combinations of burgers and toppings, hot dogs and toppings, fries and toppings, probably donuts and toppings, I don't know. And, and I'm looking at this thing, checking off what I want, and I go, yeah, yeah, this is like one-stop Americana shopping. I mean, anybody who comes in here is going to find something they want, right? And so I walked up to the manager, and the manager's got this look on his face like, I'm closing in 10 minutes, I just cleaned the grill, I just mopped the floor, I just cleaned the counters, what do you want? So I handed him my order. But then I see Aaron in the corner with that grin on his face. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. He's kind of looking at it. And, yes. And so he takes the side with all the checkboxes, flips it to a blank side, makes his own checkbox, checks the box off, and writes in all camps, caps, root, beer, float. <laughs> and so there's this manager. And here's Aaron. Yeah, we don't do that here. Well, why not? It's easy. All it takes is a little bit of root beer, a little bit of ice cream. You mix it up. I'll show you if you want me to. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> and then you see this, this stone-faced guy. His, his face of stone just dropped like the walls of Jericho. He says, oh, all right, I'll do it for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's the power of God if I ever seen it. I mean, 10 minutes to close. Anyway. When I was struggling with that joy, and I started seeing this joy in Aaron, I go, I want some of that. Why don't I have that? And fellow Christians, they would talk to me about this joy of the Lord. I would immediately think of Aaron when they told me about this. And the more I saw Aaron in his genuinely consistent joy, the more I realized that it wasn't just Aaron, but Jesus Christ working in and through Aaron. Aaron genuinely brought the presence of Christ wherever he went. And I began to struggle with this call to ministry. And I felt Jesus Christ reach out to me through Aaron. I've heard it said, if you want to make God smile or laugh, tell God what you will never do. <laughs> and so, in a bit of brilliance, I mean stupidity, I voiced in small group that I would never, ever, ever, ever go to Asbury Theological Seminary. <laughs> never. I ain't going to do it. 
And there, in the corner of my eye, I saw Aaron. <laughs> Smiling. Aaron knew where I was going, <laughs> even if I refused to accept it. He genuinely heard from God on a daily basis. And then I began to doubt myself, but Aaron would see the best in me. Some evenings, we would have our post-small group dinner at Buffalo Wild Wings. It was here I started to voice my doubts about seminary. I'm not educated enough. I have an associate's degree. I'm a blue-collar worker. I'm not anointed enough. I'm too stupid. I'll never make it. They'll never let me in, and even if they do, I'm not going to last. But Aaron would always see the best in me. And so he would tell me in that happy, monotone voice while eating hot wings, you are anointed, Randall. Just last week, I felt the spirit moving you praying small group. Or you would say, you build summaries of witness to people. That's pretty cool. Randall, you're not, Randall, not smart. You and I talk about in-depth theology at Buffalo Wild Wings all the time. I mean, hot wings theology. Whew. You can't argue against rhetoric like that. He was the most genuinely encouraging person I have ever met. Aaron Nickerson proved to me that indeed the best sermons are lived, not just preached. And Aaron's life sermon not only touched me, but touched everyone in this community, regardless of your denomination, regardless of your academic path, regardless of your career path, and yes, regardless of your streams of theological thought. Come to think of it, the sermon that was Aaron's life transcended all those dumb little boundaries we Christians build up to divide each other. How? Why? Because Aaron's life sermon not only was genuinely happy, but it was genuinely filled and overflowing with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Aaron's life sermon was a showcase of what can happen when somebody just looks up to God and lets the Holy Spirit have his way. What a sermon. What a life. What a family. Glory to God. Amen. I'm going to invite Samuel Blanco to come and share a few words with us about his friendship. As he comes, I'll tell you that this week, as I would type the word grace into my computer, it would autocorrect it to the word grace. And it taught me a lot about the community of campus life here. For once, autocorrect got it right. Samuel, come and share with us some word. I am honored to have been asked to share this morning. I met Aaron at the New Student Bonfire at the beginning of the fall semester 2017. We had both arrived at Asbury at the same time. Of course, there is much I can say, say about Aaron regarding his quirky personality and his awkwardness at times. Uh, there was a lot that made Aaron Aaron. For instance, he took his time doing things. He did everything at his own pace. One time we went to Zaxby's for dinner, and this is a food story. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't coordinate on that. He introduced me to Zaxby's, actually. After we got our food, we ate and talked about all sorts of things. After 20 minutes, I had finished eating and waited for Aaron to finish. 10 minutes passed, 20 minutes passed, 
and 40 minutes after I had finished, he finally finished. By that, by that time, while waiting, I had nothing left in my cup. I had ate all the crumbs off my plate. I learned my lesson, though. I need to eat slower. Yet this morning, I'm compelled within myself to share what I think is one of the most important aspects of what made Aaron, Aaron, something that greatly impacted me personally. And this, I know, was not something only I got to enjoy. Many here can attest to it as well. In my relationship with Aaron, I experienced something that I can only describe as rare. He did something that few have done at the various stages of my life, and in some stages, no one ever did. Aaron sought me out in friendship. He sought me out in friendship specifically. He looked for me often. He invited me to so many things. He insisted that we be friends, and I'm not sure I deserve this. Just scrolling through my text last night of the last two years, over and over and over and over again, were questions like, hey, what are you doing tonight? Have you seen this movie yet? Me and some people are going to go do such and such. Do you want to come? Even on his last full day on earth, Good Friday, he invited me to lunch. I couldn't go because I was at work, but I would change my answer now. But he was persistent sometimes, very persistent. <laughs> Every once in a while, something funny would happen in these text conversations. I would get a text from him saying, for example, hey, do you want to watch a movie tonight? I would respond, tonight I have an intensive until 8, and then I have to finish a 12-page paper. Some time would pass, and he would text back, so, how long will that go? <laughs> that, that is a true story, true story. But it's not done, because I would text, I don't know. I have to eat something real quick, I have to wrap up the paper, I then have to get up early for class at 8 a.m. Time would pass again. And Aaron would ask, so you can't tonight then? <laughs> I would say, no, I can't tonight. <laughs> I would tell my sister about this. And she once said, there are just some people you have to be super blunt with and say no. But I would never use the word no. And Aaron sometimes didn't understand my implied answers. And after, after texting in circles for some time, I would always end up saying something like, I can't tonight, but tomorrow night I'm free. He always sought me out. One time I asked him in a roundabout way why he chose to befriend me in, a, in particular after meeting at that bonfire, especially since we both met a lot of people that night. He said something like, oh, you know, you seem like a pretty cool guy. We also had similar interests in movies and TV shows. And I thought to myself, uh, is that it? <laughs> <laughs> is that it? Okay. I guess that was enough after all to build a friendship. And on top of that, many more. 
Through Aaron, I got to know many of you in this room, and I've shared experiences with you that I would not have had if it weren't for Aaron. We were talking a couple of weeks ago about the fact that I'm graduating soon, and I'm going to have a new pastoral appointment in Texas in the summer. But he simply said, I'll come visit you. How far is the drive from here? I I answered 16 hours at least, but why not fly? (laughs) He said, nah, I don't mind driving over there. We agreed that I would show him around San Antonio and take him to authentic Texan barbecue places. He always sought me out. That is what friendship is, isn't it? And it reminds me of the love of God as well. I'll forever be grateful for the love that Aaron had for me. It is my hope that in the books where good deeds are recorded, there's a line in there saying, Aaron insisted on being Sam's friend. And there will be a little asterisk with a footnote at the bottom saying Sam accepted the offer. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Sam. I'm going to invite Ivan to come now, and he's going to read for us a few of Aaron's own words that have been shared some in the last week. Um, I think he'd like to introduce that with some words of his own. Come. So I'm going to start with a little poem that I wrote. Thick or thin, I will remember you. Thick or thin, you are my brother. Though you're not here, you left your mark in our hearts. You sure did in mine. With your authenticity, goofiness, gentleness, kindness, wisdom, finger guns, and joy. The times that we had are not forgotten. They're cherished. Mary's memories flood in my mind and of you, and they're filled with love. Aaron Drew Nickerson, you made an impact in our lives. And speaking of impact, he wrote a Facebook post that many of y'all have seen. It's been shared. It was published on September 23, 2012, and it was titled Greatness. And it goes like this. Ever since I was young, I've had this desire for greatness. I've dreamed of building great things, creating masterpieces, becoming rich and famous, and being well-loved and popular. I think we all have a God-given desire for greatness at some level. I still want to be a person of greatness, but I never really understood what that meant. Greatness is not having a book deal, speaking at conferences, having a big church, owning your own company, having lots of money, rising up through the ranks, or having your name be a household word. Greatness is not even being a hero or saving the world. That's already been done. Here's real greatness, and it's so much better. True greatness is knowing Jesus. It's representing him well. It's letting Christ live through you to the world around you. (sighs) 
It's loving well. It's losing yourself and giving all in pursuit of the prize. Prize. <laughs> it's learning to be a servant. Greatness, true greatness, is being called a friend of God. If I live my life and nobody's ever heard of me, if I'm a nobody in the world's eyes, it will be all worth it if I'm known in heaven. If Christ can say of me that I am a trusted friend and a servant, it will all have been worth it. Let's live our lives for heaven's greatness. And he sure did. Let me add my words of thanks to all of you who have expressed all the ways in which this community has earned its reputation of being a community called. So thank you for that. As has been uh, mentioned earlier, we have gathered on this day to celebrate the life of Aaron Nickerson, and that's come out so beautifully today, as well as witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the first fruits of all who die in the faith. We know we have lost a, a dear friend, a brother, a son, a fellow traveler along this amazing journey that we call Asbury Seminary, a journey which, as we've heard so beautifully today, which Aaron so fully and joyfully embraced. So we do not deny this is a crushing day of pain for all of us, of course, especially for Aaron's mother and father, for his brothers, Matt and Jacob, and his sister, Emily. The opening words of Psalm 116, which uh, Dr. Lawson Stone read for us, express well the anguish that we feel. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. And yet it is precisely out of this very pain and sense of loss that we gather today as a community of faith. On Saturday, so many of you gathered at the hospital and the trauma center as you heard the news, I'm going to pray. So many others gathered at Fletcher Chapel, and then on, of course, the, the evening prayer vigil. And here again, we gather again here in Estes Chapel today. All of this because in the midst of our pain, we also share something deeper, even deeper than our shared grief. We gather here today to say we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. We believe in the truthfulness of the gospel even in the hour of sorrow. We believe in the faithfulness of God even in the face of death. And this is why, though this is a very tender hour for us, it is not a tragic one. If we were left with only our grief, we would travel very quickly down the path of despair. However, in the scriptures, lament is the language of hope, not of despair. So we come together to share our grief as well as to celebrate our faith. We share grief because we love Darren. We still do. His wit, his infectious laugh, his love of this community, all the things that express so beautifully today. Yet in the midst of our grief, we come together to celebrate our faith in the victory of Jesus Christ over death and over every other lesser crisis of life which caused the Apostle Peter to write these words. I'll repeat a few of the core of that text read. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed. First, we're told in verse 3, those like Aaron who put their faith in Christ have been given birth into a living hope. In Christ, we have a living hope. We have a hope that goes beyond the grave, a hope that goes beyond death, a a living hope which is greater than any car accident or any other trials of this life. We have a living hope because Jesus Christ has conquered death. It was not lost on any of us that Aaron departed this life on Holy Saturday, the day of waiting and anticipation for the dawn of Easter Sunday. Aaron celebrated Easter a bit early this year as he was ushered in the presence of the risen Christ. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And unlike Mary in the text in John's Gospel, which we read, I can promise you when Aaron saw Jesus, he did not mistake him for a gardener. (laughs) Jesus did not have a hoe in his hand. He had a mighty scepter ruler, a scepter as he's ruling the universe. He sees him in his full glory, bringing all things under his feet. Thanks be to God. In this life, we live with all kinds of hopes. And I know from my own interaction with Aaron, he was a man with a lot of hopes. He hoped to travel. He hoped uh, to see so many things, uh, mission work, all the interest he had. Like all of us, he had hopes. But all of these hopes are fleeting hopes compared to the living hope that he now has. Not a temporary hope, not a fleeting hope, not a partial hope, but a living hope that goes beyond the grave. A living hope that goes beyond any trials of this life. A living hope is more powerful than death itself. There's so many whom Aaron has now joined whose life ended prematurely by human measurements, from the John the Baptist to Stephen, to those dear saints gathered on Easter Sunday for worship in Sri Lanka. But all together have now stepped across the threshold of eternity and entered together into this living hope. And that hope cannot be extinguished by death. We recall that line from the great John Donne poem. Death, be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful. Thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkest thou dost overthrow, die not, poor death, nor can you kill me. Aaron has a living hope because Jesus Christ has conquered death. And only because of Jesus we declare that the grave is not the end of Aaron's life, because only in Christ that we are made truly alive. The great evangelist D.L. Moody once said, later quoted by Billy Graham, Someday you'll see in the newspaper an obituary which says, D.L. Moody is dead. But Moody said, don't you believe it. Because on that day, I'll be more alive than ever before. Thanks be to God. That same Savior that Aaron has, the Savior that we share. And Aaron is more alive today than ever because of this living hope. Secondly, Peter says in verse 4, We have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. As we've heard, Aaron loved food, and he loved sharing the fellowship around food. It's therefore no mistake that one of the central symbols of faith 
is that great eschatological banquet meal known as the marriage supper of the Lamb. Our Eucharist, a little bread and wine, which Aaron also loved, and so quickly perishes, they're but the hors d'oeuvres of that greater feast which will never perish. And Aaron has just now, he has run, run ahead of us to a higher feast of which he is now a joyful recipient. When we close the service, please note the seventh verse of the closing hymn about running to a higher feast. That is for Aaron. Most of us don't think a lot about death, but when it comes, especially untimely, we are shaken and we're taught afresh about the fleeting nature of this world. In the present, our lives are in the process of perishing. Sickness spoils our existence and our life, all of our lives, are fading away. Death separates even the closest of family bonds. But when our faith is in Jesus Christ and the gospel, when we die, we receive a life and a body that will never perish, spoil, or fade away, Peter declares. In Christ, we have an inheritance waiting for us that will never be tarnished by sickness or pain or sorrow, a life that will not fade. But on resurrection morning, we gloriously and, trend and triumphantly transformed into that like our resurrected Lord. And that is the inheritance that Aaron has entered into. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, the perishable will put on the imperishable. What is mortal will be clothed with immortality. Thanks be to God. And finally, Peter gives us that third word of hope in the face of death. Death seems so often awesome, so dreadful, so final. And there's certainly so much today we do not understand. But even though there's much we do not know and fully understand, there are certain things which we do know and can fully declare. Peter says in verse 5 that through faith we are shielded by God's power. That means God's power protects us and comforts us and carries us safely to that place he prepared for those who love him. And his power will also care for you in these days of grief. Aaron's life is now safely shielded by God's power. Never again shall he be subjected to infirmity, sickness, disease, or death. Praise the Lord. Psalm 116 that was read does not leave us entangled in the cords of death and the anguish of the grave. It goes on to say, I called on the name of the Lord and he saved me. The Lord is full of compassion. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, because I can insert his name, Aaron now walks before the Lord in the land of the living. Aaron is now shielded by God's power. It's true that we've all had to say goodbye for a while, and that hurts deeply. But in the meantime, we know, as the writer of Hebrews has said, you have put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. We still await the final consummation. And Paul says that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. We're comforted by knowing that Aaron is now healed and whole in the presence of Christ and no harm can befall him now. But on that final day, when this old world was rolled up like a canvas, when all of us who've been united by faith in Christ will have a great reunion and Aaron's body will be raised right along with ours and we'll be gathered into his presence so there'll be no more goodbyes. 
and every tear shall be wiped away. We shall all stand together with Aaron and a countless multitude of others, and we shall sing that great song which Scripture gives us. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Aaron's death has been swallowed up in Christ's victory. The sting of death has lost its power. So today we acknowledge that death has spoken, but it doesn't have the final word, not in Jesus Christ. For Aaron, the crisis of death has been overturned by the victory of Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen.